this is Alana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today for episode 71 of the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Now, it's been a while, hasn't it? Six months, maybe, since the last time I recorded? Now, I hope that all of you listening are doing well and that you've been enjoying your knitting. The past six months for me, honestly, have been pretty busy. I attended two knitting shows last February with my family, the National Needle Arts Association Convention, or TNNA, and also the Stitches West Convention, and both were a lot of fun. But you know how it is, traveling with the whole family and kids, all the packing and the stops and the crying children in the car. It's not easy. So those two trips kind of took up like my entire month. It was kind of crazy. The highlight at the TNNA convention this year was definitely getting to sign books with my daughter. We signed our new children's book, Annie and the Swiss Cheese Scarf, and that was just plain old exciting. It was kind of funny though because I had arranged this book signing at the Unicorn Books booth a few weeks or maybe a few months prior to the show, and I did all of that planning and arranging without any knowledge of the fact that there are actually no children allowed at TNNA. I had no idea, but I was just reading the little TNNA handbook thing they give you in the hotel one night, and it was saying how there was like this rule about no children under 12 allowed on the floor, and except for maybe like an infant under a year old, but they had to be in a baby carrier, not a stroller. There was kind of like really strict policies about that. Now, I know TNNA has the reasons, and I'm sure it's a good reason, but It was just funny because I had no idea and I had arranged this book signing and advertised and everything. So anyways, that was kind of interesting. So when it actually came down to it, there were a lot of phone calls that had to be made, managers that needed to be consulted, approval gotten, and she actually had to be escorted to the booth. It was kind of a lot of drama over this little unassuming seven-year-old girl in her hand-knit sweater. I felt like we were these, like, rebellious, rogue, rule-breaking knitters or something. So once we, you know, broke all the rules and smuggled my daughter in, she took the book signing quite seriously. She's seven years old, but I find that she acts quite grown-up and professional in these settings. For example, she clicked her pen on and off, before and after every book she signed, and she wished each visitor a good day. It was such a business-like approach, it was kind of hard for me to keep a straight face, but I didn't want to embarrass her. It was so amazing to see so many people at the signing, though, and the people at Unicorn said that it was quite a crowd, so that was really fun. And everyone was also really sweet and enthusiastic, which I appreciated. Many people even brought my daughter gifts, and they really made her feel special. It was definitely a moment to remember for us. 
So later on the month, when we went to Stitches West, I also had a really good time. An especially good time, actually. I remember the year previous being kind of stressful because I had my three-month-old baby boy with me, and I had to kind of worry a lot about timing, like is it time to feed him, does he need a diaper change, and, and I had to take frequent breaks, and it was kind of a little bit stressful. But this time, since he's older, he got to hang out with my family all day at the hotel when I was at the show, and that was much easier, let me tell you. Well, until we broke down the booth, and it was just me and my husband um, with him at the show, and trying to load things into boxes, that was a little hairy. But up until that point, it was pretty smooth sailing. I don't know exactly what it was this year at Stitches, but I just felt so happy and inspired by my surroundings. There was just so many yarns that I wanted to look at and pick up and touch and buy. Now I'm sure being surrounded by Lisa Sanchez's beautiful Becoming Art yarn line at our booth did not help matters, or maybe it was being right across the way from the cephalopod yarn booth, or a verb for keeping warm. Such amazing hand-dyed yarns. It was kind of overwhelming. Also this year, I was excited to discover a new booth and yarn line that I have never seen before. Lisa came back to our booth one day after exploring and said, I just bought the most beautiful yarn. You've got to check out this booth. And now that means a lot coming from a yarn dyer, because I'm sure that people who dye their own yarns are kind of partial to their own yarns. So I knew that meant a lot coming from her. One morning before the show, I think it was on Sunday, she took me by this booth and it literally stopped me in my tracks. It was the Spin Cycle Yarn booth. Now, did you go to Stitches West this year? Did you see this booth? You did? Well, then you know what I'm talking about. Gorgeous, hand-spun looking yarn, floor-to-ceiling in vibrant color combinations. Now, I say hand-spun looking yarn because although it all appeared hand-spun, some of it was hand-spun, but also a lot of it wasn't, surprisingly. They have this awesome line called Dyed in the Wool, which is a mill-spun sport weight superwash wool that's loosely spun up in a way that resembles the rustic look of a hand-spun with long gradient color changes. Now I have a confession to make. Currently, I'm kind of obsessed with this yarn. I think it's amazing, and with all of the yarns available right now in the knitting world, this one stands out to me as unique. I love the look of hand-spun yarn, but usually when you purchase it, you have to purchase small quantities. It's usually expensive, the person who spun it usually isn't spinning like gigantic skeins, it's usually only available in small quantities. so you end up with these little special one-of-a-kind skeins for special little hand knits. And that's not bad, but what if you wanted to do a big project? Now the cool thing about this yarn is because it's manufactured at a mill, you can actually purchase it in larger amounts if you wanted to make a garment or something big. 
and also this yarn offers a more even, consistent gauge than many other hand-spun yarns do. Now I understand that that is part of the beauty of a traditional hand-spun, and that a little irregularity never hurt anybody, but if you are a particular perfectionist, such as myself, sometimes you need something a little bit more consistent. So this dyed-in-the-wool yarn to me is the best of both worlds. Consistency, but still unique. And the other thing that sold me on this yarn is at the booth one of the girls had a sweater half-knit on a mannequin that she did um, striped out of the dyed-in-the-wool yarn, and it was so beautiful. I, it was gorgeous. It looked great on the skein, but it also looked amazing knitted up. Totally in love with it. So, as you can see, since I was surrounded by so many beautiful and exciting yarns this year at the show, how could I resist? How could I not buy them all? I mean, really, do you blame me? I didn't think so. And you know, and you want to know what else happened to me? On my way to the coffee cart one day, I happened to pass by that booth, the one selling irons, the booth with all of the people gathered around, saying things like, oh wow, really? That's amazing. That booth with the older couple, with their heavy-duty steam irons, ironing layers of delicate fabric with billows of steam rising above the crowd. You know, that booth. And then, of course, they have that heavy-duty iron cut in half so you can see all the insides and how it works. Yeah, well, I actually had to buy one of those, too. So I left my booth that morning for a cup of tea and came back with the world's most expensive iron. See what happens when I'm left alone at a trade show without my husband? In all seriousness, though, that iron is so stinking amazing. I use it all the time, and I love it. The brand is called Eurosteam, and it's built like a tank. It never dumps rusty water on your clothes, and it shoots steam like nobody's business. It was worth it, I must say. Now, right around the time of the trade shows was especially crazy because it's when I released my latest book, Botanical Knits, for pre-order. And I was so happy to see so many people at Stitches West that already knew about the book. So many knitters came up to me already having knit items from the book and wearing items. And so many people already knew about it. Some people even brought like a printout of the book or they had the ebook like right there on their iPads with them. And that was just so neat. It's funny having an internet business because I mean, you get feedback and you know that people like your product, but when you actually see people in person, it makes such a bigger impact. It was really exciting. So this is just kind of part of the reason why I decided to take a podcast break when I did. It was a really busy time. A few months later, in May, is when we received 10 pallets of books at our office, and we all spent weeks shipping out all of the orders. And I have to say, wow, everybody, I am so overwhelmed by all of the support you showed for this book. 
The past few months have been so exciting for me and so exciting for our family and very busy. I am truly thankful to all of you and just thrilled to hear how much you're enjoying the patterns. I've received so many kind thank you emails and Ravelry messages from knitters all around the world. And I even got a thank you card in the mail. Now, isn't that amazing? I mean, this knitter bought the book for me and then sent me a thank you card. I feel like in no other industry would that happen. Am I right? I don't like go to the store and buy a box of cereal and then write the company and tell them thank you for the cereal. I was just a really nice gesture. It stuck out in my mind. It's all been pretty fun and exciting. So since all of the pre-orders have gone out and things are starting to calm down again, I have begun to start planning out design projects for my next book, the sequel to Botanical Knits, Botanical Knits 2. I still have so many ideas for incorporating leaves, trees, and plants into knitwear, and since the first book was so well-received, I figured, why not do another? At this point, I have four patterns for the next book done, and another in the works currently. I just finished a big old sweater coat that provided a lot of knitting drama in my life, which I'll be sure to share on a future episode. And another project I just finished is out of none other than the spin cycle dyed in the wool yarn. Of course. And it's just so pretty. I really look forward to sharing this one with you. Over the last several months, I've been sourcing yarns for these new designs, and I have gotten the chance to work with so many new brands. So I think I'm going to go ahead and plan some yarn reviews in the next episode for you and share some of these new and exciting yarns. But for this episode, I wanted to share with you a different knitting related item. It's not a yarn, but a yarn bowl. What is a yarn bowl, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. Recently, this really cool website and company contacted me. It's called Uncommon Goods at UncommonGoods.com and they kindly sent me this yarn bowl to try out. Now this is a company that kind of specializes in interesting artisan products, many of which are handmade. Now this product, called the Birdie Yarn Bowl, is no exception. Never used a yarn bowl before, but this is a beautiful handmade stoneware bowl that you place your yarn into while you're knitting. And it's really cool because it keeps your yarn clean and tangle free while you work. It has holes on one side or a hook shaped notch on the other for feeding your yarn through and a cute little sparrow perched right on the top for decoration. Now for someone like myself, who's always let their yarn roll around on the sofa, roll around on the floor, or God forbid, a Ziploc bag on the floor. Using this yarn bowl made me feel, to quote my mother-in-law, fancy. I could get used to this yarn bowl business. I mean, it's really cute. It looks great as a display item in the home, and I think it would make a really nice gift for a fellow knitter. Another thing I liked about this bowl 
is that it came with a little information card about the artist that created this piece, and his name is Aaron Harrison. And it's just nice to know when you're purchasing something that you're supporting someone else's creativity and hard work. Now the company, Uncommon Goods, was kind enough to offer another bowl for me to give away to one of you listening. So if you want to be fancy like me with a birdie yarn bowl of your very own, be sure to stop by my blog at nevernotknitting.com and leave a comment under the show notes for episode 71. And please do not forget to leave your contact information so that I can get in touch with you if you are the winner. You have until July 15th to enter to win, and I'll be announcing the winner on the following episode. So for this episode, I have a little surprise for you. I'm not going to share your typical knitting story that you're used to hearing on this podcast. This is actually an excerpt. Dallas knitter and playwright Elaine Liner weaves stories about knitting, great literature, and the naughty problems of romance into her one-woman play, Sweater Curse, a yarn about love. She'll be performing her show this August at the renowned Edinburgh Festival Fringe in Scotland and has kindly provided a little sampling of her show for the podcast. In this excerpt, Elaine explains the title of her play and how she learned the hard way what happens when the sweater curse hits. Have you heard of the sweater curse? The sweater curse says that if you start knitting a sweater, or anything for that matter, for the one you love, he or she will leave you before you finish the project. It's a lot like the Sports Illustrated cover photo curse or the Time Magazine Man of the Year curse, except the guy doesn't lose the Super Bowl or his seat in Congress. You lose him, and it's just because you wanted to make him a sweater. Okay, there are many theories about this curse. One, you started knitting the sweater as a big gesture to show some affection because things were getting rocky in the first place, and knitting someone a sweater implies commitment, and ooh, that's scary. Two, you were trying to win the love of a new person in your life by giving something handmade to show you care. And three, you spent so much time knitting and ignoring your man after dinner every night, he grew bored, and that's the end of the relationship before you even started on the sleeves. I had never heard of the sweater curse. When I started knitting this cabled fisherman's wool pullover for a man named David, this was some years ago, many sweaters back. The sweater I was making for David was very outdoorsy, very winter at the beach on a horse with Ralph Lauren. David was a photographer at a newspaper where I used to work. A very free spirit, sort of let's drink cheap wine at sunset on someone else's sailboat, you know. I don't iron my shirts, I don't pay my bills on time, but I'm cute so you'll overlook it. You may know this type. We dated for about two years on and off, I I, I say off, because within those two years, he took a nine-month sabbatical to photograph pods of migrating whales in the Atlantic. He was going to do a book or something, which he never did. But he was gone for all that time, like Ulysses off to the Trojan War and me, like Penelope home knitting. We still kept in touch while he was gone, and this was before everybody had email and Skype. He hand-wrote letters and put stamps on them and everything, and he mailed them when the whale-chasing boat was imported, Cape Cod or Halifax. 
It was so romantic. The man could write a great letter, except he never signed them with the L word, just yours, David. And I thought that actually meant mine, David. We were going along pretty good, I thought. And I thought maybe he had exhausted his wanderlust with the whales and he was getting ready to settle down. I did that thing you do where you keep showing him what a good mate you'd be, like cooking and cleaning, buying good groceries. I took down the horrible silver flocked wallpaper in his dining room and I painted it this gorgeous mushroom gray and I started knitting him that lovely V-neck sweater, which remains unfinished. Soon after he returned from Troy, David took a job at a surfing magazine in Ventura, California. I had no idea. He told me about it two days before he left. Poof, he was gone. Just adios with his camera equipment and a U-Haul. There I was, this thing, this sweater thing, bunched up in a heap at the end of the sofa. I couldn't bear to touch it. The sweater curse had hit. I could barely bring myself to pick up needles again. That unfinished sweater was a lumpy symbol of our unfinished relationship. So I poked the yarn and the needles into a bag and stuck it into the closet. I thought maybe he'd get out to California and miss me. But does anyone ever come back from California? No, they do not. He went to the left edge of the United States because it was the farthest he could get from me without swimming with whales. The yarn and the unfinished v-neck stayed balled up in the bag in the closet. Cursed. Uh, literature is full of knitting, you know. Like Penelope knitting the shroud for Laertes until Ulysses returns. Charles Dickens has Madame Defarge clicking away on her needles in A Tale of Two Cities. Remember that book? She's the villain. And all through the story, she sits there knitting. And into her wool, she knits a list of names of all the people condemned to die in the new France. As she knits, these people go under the blade of the guillotine, and she loves it. She's cold to the bone. I kind of imagine her like Angelina Jolie on a red carpet, ignoring all the Kardashians. Madame Defarge sits there quietly, knitting all quaint and harmless looking, but she's seething inside, and by knitting the names, she is sentencing more and more people to die. Madame Defarge is Dickens' way of saying that the starving peasant class, who appear to be humble and simple and lazy to the noble class who look down on them, will eventually rise up and massacre their oppressors. Watch out, one percenters, right? Anyway, here's a little of how Dickens wrote it. So much was closing in about the women who sat knitting, knitting, that they their very selves were closing in around a structure yet unbuilt, where they were to sit knitting, knitting, counting, dropping heads. Now, the idea of Madame Defarge, the character and her knitting, that comes from an even older tale in Greek mythology, and that's the story of the fates. Three sister goddesses who controlled all of human life. This this is a good one. First sister, Clotho, spun the yarn of life at her spinning wheel. She was spinning into existence every human being. The second sister, Lachesis, literally the drawer of lots, knitted each person's longevity with her allotment of yarn, and how long the yarn was in the knitting measured how long that person would live. The third sister, Atropos, the inexorable, held the scissors. She was the cutter of the thread of life. When someone's time came, she snipped their thread, and they slipped off their mortal coil. 
like a little assembly line, the fates. Spin it, snip, spin it, snip. Oh, the slipping off the mortal coil, that's Shakespeare. Full of knitting references, that guy. Sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care, the death of each day's life. Macbeth, Act Two, Scene Two. The web of our life is of a mingled yarn, good and ill together. All's well that ends well. My heart unto yours is knit, so that but one heart we can make of it. Midsummer Night's Dream. You know, there are mentions of knitting in half of Shakespeare's plays, and I bet his wife Anne Hathaway, who could be played by Anne Hathaway, right? She had to be a knitter. He worked nights. She was raising the kids in that tiny thatched cottage in Stratford. I've been there. It's like this big. He was always down at the pub, hanging out out with the actors, stealing ideas from Christopher Marlowe. So, my tribute to Anne Hathaway, Mrs. William Shakespeare. To knit or not to knit, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer a shawl made by a peasant on a loom for pitiable wages, or to take needles circular or straight and make the shawl yourself. To knit, to purl, to stockinette and rib, to feel the heartache of dropped stitches and the thousand natural slips of fingers air to, to the consternation devoutly to be wished, to purl, to knit. To bind off, perchance too soon, ay, there's the rub, for in that binding off what dreams may come of having blocked and shaped the thing must give us pause. Our expectation of success in sweatering might make calamity, and so long, love life, hmm, the sweater curse. Oh, I heard from David one more time, by the way. He sent me an invitation to his wedding. He married a Pilates instructor that he met his first weekend in California. Her name, and I'm not making this up, was Siren, spelled C-Y-R-Y-N, but pronounced Siren. I thought about unraveling the V-neck and reusing the yarn, but I couldn't do it. I put so much time and energy into him, it... And for so long I thought he might, you know, sail past his siren the way Ulysses did. But he didn't. They have a son now. I swear to you I'm not making this up either. They named him Homer. Thank you again, Elaine, so much for sharing part of your performance with the podcast. Now, if you listening would like to hear more from Elaine and would maybe even like to see her show in person, please check out my show notes page for episode 71 on my blog, and there I'll be providing a link to a website where you can get some more information. Also, if you listening are thinking of a story that you might like to share on the podcast sometime, please get in touch. I would love to hear your story and possibly share it on a future episode. As a reminder, the show notes for this episode and all episodes of Never Not Knitting can be found on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm on Ravelry 
under the name of Never Not Knitting. And of course, you can email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. Well, everybody, that pretty much wraps up episode 71. I thank you again for your amazing support and for joining me for the beginning of season eight of this podcast. And please join me again at the end of July for episode 72. Until next time. She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a clicking. From morning until she goes to bed. She won't take the time to brush her teeth. Let's not even talk about her hair. If it isn't about knitting, she just doesn't really care. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Pop ramen again. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Nobody has clean laundry, no pants, no shirts, no underwear, but they have closets full of sweaters, and more socks than they could ever wear. There's yard in the fridge, in the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry. Even in the washer and dryer That's why She can't do any laundry I need some clothes She's never not knitting And it's making Her husband mad Her husband mad I'm filing for divorce She just won't stop her stitching And the neighbors Say it's really getting bad She's taking pictures of socks again Oh is burning up in flames her husband says get up let's go but she can't set down her project she says just let me finish up this row she's never not knitting and it's making her husband mad her husband mad she just won't stop her stitching And, well, she's losing all she had